Paul. Okay, good. Make sure you all check in. Make sure you all with me. And so today we're going to 10. And 10 is about Jesus sending out those disciples to put in some work. So somebody say, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Let's go. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, if you're like me and you can look at a Bible or scroll on your phone, you see how chapter 9 ended. It ended by him saying the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And so now he is adequately equipping, if I can say that phrase, adequately equipping his disciples to be an answer to that prayer. What is our job here? To equip you to be an answer to that prayer. And if you remember last week when I talked, I said, I'm going to ask the elders or deacons to pray and get back to me if I should stay on a sabbatical, a vacation, and you all keep preaching on this until you're ready, or we just jump into 10 and get ready, and they're like, Pastor, you know, nice try. You better get back here. Uh, we are ready. We are ready for this. But the only reason why I did that, if you got time this week, watch me on Facebook, because I'm going to pull out a clip from my uh, of my friend. I always say my friend when I don't know them personally, but as pastors, we need to have friends, so I consider this guy like a friend. Uh, he's my friend's friend. Let's put it that way. But he talked about how he wished twice a year he could ask everybody to do the vision or to roll out, and so that was my thing. It's like, we've got so much to do. We've never had this amount of finances, this amount of people, this amount of discipleship. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. The youth group is growing. The children's ministry is growing. And we don't want to blow it. We don't want to miss what God is doing and try to be big for big's sake. We don't want to say big is bad and small is spiritual. Big is good if you do it right. Jesus had thousands. It whittled down at times to hundreds, but then it went right back to thousands and Pentecost. Are you tracking with me? I just want you to do it, okay? I don't want you to say he forced me to do it. I want you to be like Nike and just do it, okay? And then say it like a Chicagoan, do it, do it, just do it, all right? So now he says, we're going to do this. He called those disciples. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. How many of you have demons? You can't cast out demons, right? And, and it's in the same sense, if you haven't seen a miracle, how are you going to have faith for a miracle? Now, I know we can still pray while we're waiting for certain miracles, but you've got to have a track record of at least some miracles in your life before you have the faith to pray for others because it should work for you that you're wanting to work for others. Now, he's going to name their names. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, remember, they're all going to be men because God is going to use them as representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why there's 12 and not 14 or 13. 12 represents 12 tribes of Israel and the men being the leaders of their homes. We do know that women become disciples because by the time the book of Acts is in the upper room and the Holy Spirit's coming down, there's 120 and many of them are women. And then when Peter starts preaching, he says the Spirit is going to come on sons and daughters together. They'll prophesy. Can I get amen for that? Aren't you glad here women and men get the same opportunities to be elders and deacons and to lead in the church? But here are the 12 men. First, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, two sets of brothers. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, kind of called himself out there. You know, he's writing. He's like, yeah, that's who I was. Uh, James, son of Elpheus and Thaddeus, some guys we don't really talk about a lot in the church because we don't know much of what happened to them other than that they died a martyr's death. We will talk about that in a minute. Simon the Zealot. Does anybody know what a zealot is? Raise your hand if you know what a zealot is. Can I point that towards you? I just want you to have that so bad right now. There you go. Amen. Pray go right there. Receive. Um, who knows what a zealot is? A couple of you. You know that's basically what it's saying? It's basically saying Simon the gangbanger. 
Yeah, a zealot was somebody who carried a sword and got into fights against the oppressors. So technically not quite a game banger. Let's try it again. Let's go a little bit better here. Simon the Revolutionary, right? There you go. Okay. And then Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. We all know him. He's the bad guy of the story. But notice that he betrayed him. He didn't have to betray him, but he did. How many know you'll go down in history as a betrayer if you betray people? It's just a part of life. You'll be known for how you betray. I thank God that in over 20 years of ministry, nobody I've ever worked for, done ministry for, ever can say I betrayed them. I'm thankful for over 14 years of of marriage to my wife. I've never betrayed her trust today. She can say my husband's been faithful. You know, live your life without betraying people, and you'll be thankful for it. Amen? Sometimes it's a slower road to success. Trust me, I've been there as a pastor. You sometimes want to take that road. Maybe it's a little bit easier, but always go the route of the way of holiness and integrity. You know, I'm looking at Tony there in the back, and Tony came from the church that I used to work at, and I left that church on good terms, made sure to do it the right way, and many, many years later, Tony fell in love with this young lady named Jerry. Does anybody know Jerry? Yeah, Jerry. And so he starts coming to the church, you know. Pastor, he called me up immediately, and he said, Joe, when you left our church, you promised you wouldn't take anybody. I go, bingo, bingo, never did it. He said, everybody that's ever come has always come by the blessing. That means when Ricky and Rachel and others came, he, he, he had to bless them and send them out. One day they just showed up here, and I said, you can't come here. you got to go back to the church, get a blessing. Can I hear an amen? And he said, but Tony's violating that. Tony, man, he, he didn't ask for our blessing. I said, how did he even find out about our church? He said, somebody invited him. I go, well, we don't, we don't do that here. We don't invite other people from churches. Well, it comes to find out that Christina, back in Facebook days, you could send out invites that would say, invite everyone. Anybody remember that? Just invite everyone. And so it was a random invite. So I go, I, I wrote him back, and I go, Pastor Carlos, he was invited by a random invite. I am sorry. I want to be in good terms with you. What can we do to make it right? He said, have him come back and talk to our leadership, release him, and then we'll bless him to start that relationship with Jerry. Am I telling the truth, Tony? And he came here blessed. You see, even the church that I used to work for can't say that I betrayed their trust. Don't be a betrayer. You'll be remembered for adulterous, even though it can be forgiven. The Bible says the reputation will remain. Okay, I know you guys want to hear that Jesus always forgives and that we just walk past your past. That is true, but you have to understand, Judas was a betrayer. Now, did Peter betray as well? Can we be honest with that? Yes, but what did Peter do? He repented, got restored, and then Jesus did what? Sent him out. So let's just go through that. If you have betrayed another church, go back to that church, get released, and come here. Are you listening? Don't just come here because we're the awesomest church you have ever found with the greatest pastor, okay? Don't do that. I know that's what you think. No, I'm just half kidding there. That's a little of my insecurity coming out, okay? If you have betrayed a loved one, if you are in a family situation and you have betrayed your family, go back and make it right. doesn't mean you agree with everything, but don't be known as the betrayer. And if you have split and left a marriage, get them to come do marriage counseling with us before you say it's over. It gets quiet when I preach like that. Because a lot of us just want to be able to hit reset, don't we? We just want to say reset. But you know what you sow is what you're going to reap. And so all throughout my life, I want to I sow a loyalty. So I, I want to reap loyalty, so I sow loyalty. So I have the same pastor in my life that I had from Bible college. Isn't that amazing? And before I had a church of elders, that was my elder. And he's still with me to this day. And so let's not be like those who betray Jesus. And of course, don't turn your back on your Savior. Amen? Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Amen. It's in the word. I'm going to talk about it. Amen. Let's go to verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Now, I got to go a little deep. Somebody say, go deep. Okay, here's deep. 
If you read right through this thinking it's one set of instructions, you'll miss it. Most commentaries will see it the way I'm going to explain it. There are two sets of instructions here. One is a short-term mission trip. Jesus is going to say, go out and then come back, other words. Don't go out and stay out forever because they got other things to do together. But what he's going to do is send them out and then bring them back in, check on them, see how they're doing, send them out, bring them back in, so that finally when Matthew 28 comes up, he sends them into all the world. He's not there watching as a person in the physical body. He's watching via the Holy Spirit because his physical body is in heaven next to the Father. Amen? Tracking there. Why? Because now watch the very first thing he says. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. See, that has to be short term because otherwise that would basically mean none of us are getting the gospel. Hey, I want you guys to go preach, but don't go to none of those crazy Puerto Rican Italians. Don't go to any African American. Don't go anywhere. You just stay with the Jewish people. How many know that would be a sad day? if that was all that gospel was ever going to do. And there's some racist people today. They're called black Hebrew Israelites. They dress up like the Jews. They're African Americans. They have signs of white Jesus with horns on them, making them out to a devil. And they literally believe that gospel's only for their people. You'll see them shouting and hollering downtown. They look really courageous. Slip them our number and say, our pastor will debate you anytime, and you'll see how courageous they are. Every now and then, someone will step up, you know, and then they'll, they'll get that, that theology knocked out. But we love to debate those guys, but most of them, they don't. They just want to shout and make a scene. But notice I have to clarify, short term. Everybody say short term. What's the reason of this? Because God had promised the Jewish people they go first. Why do they go first? Because they have suffered the most. Even in the culture we live in today, to the 21st culture, nobody has suffered like the Jews worldwide. The Holocaust alone separates them from any other people group. Yes, I sympathize with the African-American who was enslaved for hundreds of years. Absolutely terrible. But you talk about the African slave trade, you're talking about something that was just for that culture for that time. You're talking the Jewish people were slaved just themselves in Egypt for 400 years. On top of that, they had a Holocaust, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't even have their own land, okay? And so I know it's weird when you try to compare people's hurt to others hurt, but the Bible literally says there's no people like the Gentiles, who, uh, the Jewish people that have suffered like them in the Gentiles. Now, let me just say this real quick note. Jewish doesn't mean just white European Jewish as you see them today. There is multiple culture and color in the Jewish people. That is why I very much disagree with white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. Makes the, the problem very bad. Jesus was probably somewhere between what we would say is a typical Middle Eastern to an African. You don't no, I can say for sure he wasn't white. I know that for sure because white people did not live in that part of the world when they were there. That's just the European cultures were separated, okay? He was Middle Eastern and, and Africa touched the Middle East and Egypt is in Africa. So just think about that. Moses married an Ethiopian. So their children were probably either all dark-skinned or light-skinned and mixed like, a, like, a, like an Ethiopian would be light-skinned to an African. How many are tracking with me right now just a little bit? I just wanted to get us multicultural when it comes to Jewish people because Jewish people have a religion but their culture can come from all over the world. As a matter of fact, in their exiles, they went to different parts of the world. There's Jewish people in India today. There's Jewish people in Africa. There's Jewish people even in Pakistan, believe it or not, in, in, in Asia. Okay, so he said, do not go among the Gentiles or any of the towns of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. They go first. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. Can I hear an amen? 
That's what we're preaching. Now do these things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Doesn't that sound fun? Jesus is going to send them out with power and authority. Now they're going to do the healings by God's grace, the miracles, etc. Here's another clue how we know it's short term. Listen to what he says to them. Do not bring any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belt. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. They were literally told, you can't even bring your chanclas. You are going to walk barefoot from town to town. How many know that's got to be short term, right? No money, not even an extra set of clothes. And I know they were old school, but trust me, old school still stinks, okay? You're like, they were used to it. Now, there's a certain stink you never used to, okay? They needed a change of clothes. So what he's basically saying is, if you guys trust me, don't go with any money, no chanclas, not even a staff, and start preaching. And then look at verse 11, how they're going to be provided for. It says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for someone worthy, a worthy person, and stay at their house until you leave. So imagine us doing door-to-door evangelism. How many have done that in your life group? How many, just imagine this, you're doing it without no money, no shoes. Hey, man, can I tell you about Jesus and get a bologna sandwich while I'm at it? And something to drink because I'm actually really thirsty right now. That's what he's having them do. Because what is he teaching them? Dependence on God, and then if your preaching is good, people will do that for you. If all you're doing is yelling and making a noise out there, they're going to avoid you and you're going to starve and not have any water. You've got to be bold in your preaching, but you've also got to be effective. Effective enough that the very ones you've preached to welcome you in and give you something to eat and wash your feet even. The Bible says as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. It means you're blessing that place. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Everybody go, oh, snap. Two things we learn here. Jesus is serious about judgment in the midst of that message. He always brought up judgment to show us it's not an option, okay? You get to choose if you go to hell, but you don't get to choose to go to another nice place. There are no other options if you don't like pain and torment. It's his world. He created it. He makes the rules. This is the way it goes. That's the first thing that we learn. He just brings up judgment. Second thing that we learn is that there's grades of judgment. Just like how when we go to heaven and get rewarded, the the rewards will be different based on our works. The punishment is based on your works. So Hitler gets a different punishment than the good Catholic who went to church every day. They may both go to hell because they weren't born again, but the hellfire, the torment that Hitler will face is greater than the torment of the woman going to hell who didn't have Jesus in her heart. And, and sadly, many times, we think that those people are still good enough to go to heaven. No one's good enough to go to heaven. But there are grades of hell. And and somebody might think of like Dante's Inferno, which is an old story in the Middle Ages about hell. Not true. Cool to read to scare the hell out of you. Uh, But gives you an idea of what it could be like. But there will be different gradients of hell. And so how many remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? What? Fire and brimstone. Destroyed them. God says, 
That's going to just be a taste of what they're going to have. Because what is he talking about? Real hellfire, even worse than that. And so it could just be as simple as someone's in torment with a degree at 200 degrees, and someone's at torment for 300 degrees for eternity. I don't know how it works out. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and then the same thing is with rewards. We don't know how it works out, but we know there are crowns that are given, plural, not just one, plural crowns. So I feel like wearing this crown today. I feel like wearing this crown. And then there are jewels given on the crowns that the Bible talks about. So that's for our rewards. And then also the way we rule with Christ. Uh, and I don't say this to put down janitors. My father-in-law was a janitor. It's a great job. But I'm saying in heaven, we'll probably be assigned to different jobs and that will represent different amount of authority. Even though being a janitor is awesome, he doesn't carry a lot of authority when it comes to the government and finances and business, etc. And so in the kingdom, you, there may be janitors. You're there. You, you were a Christian. You were like the thief on the cross. You made sure to get your prayer in before you died. But then there's going to be also people running things, you know, and that's okay because God is fair. Now, remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved to do good works. So it's all by God's grace, but it's your choice whether or not you want to work with Christ or just try to get, a, you know, a free ride to heaven. I want to work with Christ and have rewards. Amen? Amen, Amen for that. So those are the temporary short-term instructions. Let's go down now, and let's see where it turns into the long-term instructions. Verse 16, everybody say, I'm sending you out. That's Jesus' words, title of today's message. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. How many know that just got real, real quick? He didn't say I'm sending you out like clowns at the children's birthday party. He says, literally, you know what you guys are going to be at? at? The dual Ashleys, by the way. That's so amazing. Two Ashleys sitting together. Let's give it up for dual Ashleys. Ashleys times two. Like, boy, look at the Ashleys. Wave your hands, Ashleys, just in case you don't know who I'm talking about. Dude, sweet, nice young ladies. Guess what Jesus is saying? Their sweetness will not stop the wolves from wanting to eat them up. Doesn't it seem like that in the culture? That they just, they just attack us and come right at us. It doesn't care if you're as sweet as the Ashleys are here today. They will find a way to devour you. It doesn't matter to them, whether or not you say it nicely or you say it loudly, they don't like what you say. Now, I haven't had this happen at Logan Square, but just use your mind and imagination because I could see it happening one day. Imagine the guy with the turban. He's a Sikh. You know, he's in a religion called Sikhism. Imagine the Muslim with the beard. Imagine the nice Jewish person with the yarmulke. Imagine the hipster standing there with their tight jeans and their coffee. Imagine the gangbang with tattoos all over their face. Imagine the business person dressed in a suit. Imagine all of them pointing at me going, you're wrong. That's what it's like being a Christian in the world. They will all literally gather together and say, let's not talk about our differences. Let's just agree upon one thing right now. The Christian faith is wrong. Can the atheist agree with that? Can the Muslim agree with that? Can the Sikh agree with that? Can the Buddhist? Can your next, yeah, next door neighbor. We all agree those guys are wrong. Have you ever felt that way? You haven't? Maybe you're not preaching the way Jesus and these guys did uh, because I felt that way. I've watched them literally turn on me, and I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea how much differences you have amongst yourselves. But why is that? It's because of the exclusive nature of Christianity. Christianity is the only religion that teaches its Savior is the only Savior. Even Islam says you can get to heaven without Muhammad as long as your good works outweigh your bad. Buddhists, same way. Sikhs, the same way. Atheists don't even believe in heaven, so what's the point in, you know, really getting all worked up about it, right, in their mind? 
And then all the other worldviews, they have a, a, a sense of, well, if you don't have what I have or in belief system, I can just leave you alone. Like you'll never really see the Muslim promoting anti-abortion or anti-LGBTQ because in their mind, it's very much like, well, if y'all want to destroy yourselves, go ahead. It's the Christian that has an exclusive opinion, which we believe is the truth, and then wants to tell the whole world. Now do you know how annoying we are to them? Because they're like, man, you guys are not only exclusive, which is, the, which is the dunce of our party. You know, you look like the town idiot to us. But now you want to tell everybody how exclusive you are. Can't you just be more like the Mormon? Just ride your bike, knock on our door, and then move on. Why do you have to say we're going to hell? Why do you have to tell us it's going to be worse for us than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah? Why do you have to threaten us? Just live and let live. Now, should we do it in a way that's rude and intentional to get people to hate us? No. Uh, we can't do like what some of these guys I've seen on TV do, take some pork, go down to a, a Muslim festival, and then get mad when they curse and spit at us. Right? How many of that's just disrespectful? You're calling yourself a Christian, but you're literally just going down there to pick a fight. And they put it on camera, you know. Here's pork, you, you infidels, and he's messing with them, you know. And then it's like, well, we got persecuted. No, you didn't. You were an idiot, you know. Or some of these guys who I know who are street preaching at, at Mardi Gras, Bourbon Street, they're calling people names or making fun of their wives. Your wife looks like a, a this and that, and they're naming really bad names, you know. And then they get punched by the husband, you know. And it's like, see, I suffered for Jesus. No, you could have had, you could have had a banner that says Cubs suck and get punched by a Sox fan. It's just the flesh. You know what I'm saying? You don't go in front of Comiskey Park or U.S. Cellular Park, you know, waving, you know, a Sox suck and then expects nobody to react to you, you know? How do you know it's real persecution? It's real persecution when you're literally telling them, I'm not here for that, but you're still angry at me. And I've been in that situation where they're like mad and they're violent and they're upset and I'm like, I am not here for that, bro. That's not why I am here. But yet they keep going. Now, now, truthfully, I've never gotten hit while preaching the gospel. My friend that's about this size gets hit all the time. I don't know if size has something to do with it or if my guardian angel's paying more attention. I don't know. But my one little friend gets hit all the time. I've never got hit. I've been close. But maybe like that guy walks up to me, he's like, maybe I'll think about hitting this Christian. Or maybe they look at me and they go, I don't know how Christian this guy is. This guy looks like he might fight me back. I, I don't know. But our guys got really persecuted, and they really had this happen. So I don't want to make light of it. Lord, forgive me if I did. I'm just trying to tell us that it can happen, okay? But before we get into that next part, listen to what it says. Be as shrewd as a snake. Did you know that Jesus wants you as shrewd as a snake? We always think of snake as the devil. And a sneaky snake at that, right? He's a sneaking, lying snake. That's not what we're supposed to be like. A sneaky snake goes behind your back. A sneaky snake won't say things to your face. Sneaky snake tries to get everybody against you or bitter or, you know, gossip, whatever. Those are sneaky snakes. You guys know I'm talking about a sneaky snake? Have you ever ran into a sneaky snake? Okay. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be shrewd like snakes. How many have ever been on an outdoor walk? You notice a snake way after it noticed you. You ever been there? Like you're taking your walk and you're doing all that you're doing, and all of a sudden you look over and the snake is like just dead right at you. I've been looking at you, I've been watching you, I could have eaten you by now. And then you're just like looking at that snake and that snake's looking at you. That's a shrewd snake. See, you don't see it coming. See, the Bible says, be like that, be wise. Be somebody in the culture that can expose it, bring it down, and put in the venom of the goodness of God, but do it in such a way where you never lose your innocence. 
You see, we don't become like the filth of the world to try to beat the world. If you've ever heard of a situation like this, maybe on Maury Povich or something, and it's like, well, why did you cheat on him, you know? And she's like, he cheated on me. I had to get back at him. Have you ever heard that before? Or in the world, you know, why are you gossiping? Well, they gossiped about me. I'm going to tell you everything. Well, the whole idea is they want to be not innocent. They want to be filthy. And the Bible talks about filthy animals. Sorry to say, dogs and pigs are filthy to them, okay? So we're not supposed to be like dogs and pigs. We're supposed to be shrewd like snakes, but innocent like doves. Okay, what do we take from this? We're going into a world that doesn't like us, even on our jobs, even in our culture. But we're supposed to be wise in how we handle them, and we're supposed to strike with the truth, but be innocent of trying to hurt them or to be bitter or angry towards them. We're really doing it out of love for them like a dove. I'm wise like a snake, but I'm loving and innocent like a dove. Isn't Jesus awesome? Sometimes I'm looking at you guys wondering if you like Jesus' examples. It's just my job to preach it, guys, and I'm glad he gave it to us. But here's the serious part. It says, but be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. How do I know now this is long-term? Because that never happened on their short-term mission trips. There's never a time we read about in the gospel where Peter gets held up by a synagogue leader because he's getting beat down. This all happens after the ascension of Jesus in the book of Acts. So that's why we know to go short-term, long-term. And eventually we know they get to wear sandals, they get to have some money and provide for themselves, etc. And they do get arrested. They do get flogged. And remember how Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails? Uh, Paul got that seven times. Seven. I mean, that is just, I can't even imagine that. Just seven times he got what you saw Jesus get. 39 whips, okay? Very, very painful. He was beaten. He was stoned to death, left for dead. That's where we believe he went to the third heaven and saw God. I mean, this is a, a, a story of true persecution. So let's not run away from it, but let's not try to be naive either and think it's only going to happen to people somewhere over there, you know? It could happen to us here. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them, to the Gentiles. So you notice now Gentiles are a part of the plan. Go quickly to Matthew 28, 19. End of the book, Matthew says, go into all the what? The world. Make disciples of all the what? Nations. So I just want to show you there that the second part, the long term, does come about. And as we're going there, I want you to remember the Bible's not going to contradict itself. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Back to the notes. And so what we see here is eventually that it will happen, and it does in the book of Acts. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you that's speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Somebody say Trinity. Trinity. Who saw the Trinity there? Who saw it? Anybody see the Trinity? Okay, the Trinity is the Father, Son, Spirit. We just read it. You guys were all pumped. You were reading it with me. It was awesome. We were all hype in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where is the Trinity here? Okay, who's speaking? Okay, so on my account, who's the my there? Jesus. Who is Jesus in the Trinity? The Son. He says, you're going to be arrested on my account, but don't worry about what to say because the Spirit of the Father will be speaking through you. Isn't that awesome? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If anybody ever asks you, where's the Trinity? Where do I see that in the Bible? All over the Bible. Most people are not looking for it. That's why they don't see it. But I would encourage you, as you read through the book of Matthew, notice the Trinity. It's the same Trinity that's there at, at the baptism. The Father is speaking, the Son is being baptized, and the Holy Spirit is coming in the form of a what? A dove. Amen. Let's keep reading. So we don't get discouraged. We keep preaching. But look at verse 21. This is where it gets real. 
Look at your neighbor and say, it gets real. Here it is. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be what? Will be saved. How many feel like that sometimes? Everybody's betraying you, even your family. Do you know that right now, let's just think about it, people. Right now in Canada, a father is not supporting his daughter's transition to become a man. And they are now trying to arrest him and take away his daughter for good. Do you know that during the Nazi Holocaust, children were taught in the public schools to report their parents if they were dissidents towards the Nazi party? Do you know that in Islamic countries, parents will take their own children because it's illegal to leave Islam? It is illegal to leave that religion. That's not uh, the extremist. That's what Muhammad taught. They will take their own children to be beheaded, to be stoned, and to be killed. My daughter left Islam. There's a story of one of the men that I track. His name is Dick Brogdon. Dick Brogdon. He's a part of the Live Dead Mission Movement. Find it on Facebook, Live Dead. He wrote a book called, I think it's Journals from the Sand or something. He was one of the missionaries that I talk about where they actually have to leave their children at a mission base, grow out beards, wives wear hijabs, and go live in Muslim countries. Real deal. Underground missionaries can die for their faith. Real deal, okay? He writes about one young girl who came to Jesus in his ministry. And I think the title of the journal is Eyes That Were Red. And what had happened was the girl was around the family during the time of prayer. And she couldn't go to her knees and she wasn't able to come up with a reason to leave. And so they said, why have you not gone to your knees? Why are you not praying with us? The family said to her, And this is where we're going to learn right now. If you don't confess Jesus before others, he won't confess you before the Father. She confessed her Lord and Savior before her family. Her dad and her brother beat her bloody until all of her eyes were full of blood. And they put her in a closet and they were going to bring her to the courts to die the next day. By God's grace, one of the other siblings, please forgive me if I'm not telling the story right. One of the other siblings released her. She ran away and went to the pastor's house. Two Iranian girls were beat because they were handing out Bibles, and you can read their story online too. There are so many stories of people suffering for Jesus by their own family, their own friends. It is a real world out here, people. You can fly in a plane 15 hours, and what you're doing right now is illegal in North Korea, in certain parts of Africa, in certain parts of Asia, in the Middle East. This is a real thing he prepared us for. So it's long term. It may not be every one of us, but we've got to be ready to do it, and we have to be able to take betrayal for the faith of Jesus Christ and for the things we believe in. And let me just say this, because I know I can be sassy sometimes with churches, but I want to thank God for the good churches that are here, and I stand with them. So one time when I was trying to get a church building in uh, Wicker Park, I was meeting with the, uh, the alderman there, Marino, and this is what he said to me, because some of you know the story, but this is how it started. He said to me, are you a church like Pastor Choco and New Life Covenant? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, Choco is against homosexuals. You see, at that moment, I could have threw Pastor Choco under the bus, tried to wiggle my way into a nicer way of saying it. But at that moment, I stood right next to Pastor Choco in the the ideology, and I said, I'm exactly like Pastor Choco. That's what I believe. 
It was an honor to stand with him that day because I didn't have to betray my brother to get ahead. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me give you an example where the, well, one pastor betrayed a Christian brother. The pastor of Hillsongs is the largest pastor in Australia, the largest church in Australia, but one rugby player had about a $10 million contract, professional rugby player, put out a post on his, his Instagram that said basically what 1 Corinthians says, that the ungodly, the, uh, the immoral, the perverted, the uh, homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the homosexual community got so upset that there was homosexual in this list of murderers and these other things that they got him to get fired from his job. He lost everything. And then you know what the pastor of Hillsong does? Writes an article and throws him under the bus and says that wasn't the Christian thing to do. We don't betray each other. Let me give you one more example. Uh, Ricky was in the first service. He can testify to it because he was in the actual meeting. We did a big launch at our other place in Irving Park. Uh, there was a gentleman in the front, just met, us, met him, shook his hand right after service. And I said, hey, how are you doing? You know, just small talk. And I said, have, have you been going to another church? And he said, oh, yeah, I've been going to Chicago Tab. And I love Chicago Tab and Akron Pastor Toledo. I know him. And so I said to him, okay, great. What brought you here? For about the next two minutes, he badmouthed Chicago Tab. And I go, hold on, hold on. You can't do that here. I looked at him. You could tell it was getting a little bit awkward. I said, you can't do that here. I said, did you leave the right way because we won't receive you with that kind of attitude? He then said, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It is what it is. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm an elder. You've brought an accusation against an elder. I'm going to ask you now to either repent of that or I have to get more elders around us because I'm going to make a judgment on you talking about this man. He said, no, 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 just leave it alone. See, at that point, you guys were like, leave it alone. No, I didn't leave it alone. I got Ricky and another elder, and I said, let's go into the office. And then, and then he said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, you either repent for what you said to me, go there and try to figure it. Maybe he is bad, like you said, but you repent for not doing it right, getting more elders to find out if what you're saying is true, because you don't have permission to spread it here until it's done right there. Like, because I said, did you go to the pastors? Did you meet with the elders? He said, no, I didn't do any of that. Okay, so I said, you either do that, or right now, we're going to put you out of the church. Grand opening, dude's in my office looking at me like, how in the world did I end up here? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to put you out. He goes, ah, oh, and then he goes off on me. He goes, all oh, you pastors are alike. You're like police officers. You stick together. You don't care about what happens. I said, I've told you how to do it right. Brothers, bring him out. Ricky and another brother escorted the man out. You want to know how real that is? Google Metro Praise International. That's the review that says two bodyguards moved him out of the church. You've read it? It's on there. It's on there right now. So you know what I want to do? I want to take a screenshot and send it to Pastor Al and be like, dude, you owe me a lunch right here. Because what, what could I have done? I could have betrayed my brother. You know, it's one thing if we talk about our differences and some of the things that we stand for in this church. But this is talking about what we stand for as Christians. And we don't betray eldership. We don't betray each other. We stand with the body of Christ. And if there was an issue, like I said, go deal with it with the elders and come to me telling me you have met with those elders and you've done all you can. And then you know what I say next? And I say this to here and everybody online. I'll go with you to those elders and we'll try to settle it. But we don't betray each other. But sadly, that's going to happen in the end times. Because it says right here, you'll be hated by everyone. How many know everyone doesn't hate us yet? This is going to happen after the rapture. I believe in that. And then the Bible says you've got to stand firm to the end. So serve Jesus now because if you can't now, and you say, well, once the rapture happens, I'll believe in Jesus then because now it's been proven true. It will be so difficult to serve God in that time. There will be so many of us gone. You will be such a minority. And if today you cannot serve Jesus with a little bit of hate, you will bend under the pressure, get the mark of the beast, and be worshiping the Antichrist. 
Don't do that. Stand firm to the end. Amen? Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Pay attention to this verse. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Everybody go, go deep. Okay, has the Son of Man came yet? But it says you won't finish going to the towns of Israel. Haven't we preached the gospel to all the towns of Israel? I mean, there's gospel radios there and everything. Did Jesus contradict himself then? Okay. We have to figure this out, don't we? Think about it. Don't just look up at me. Look at the scripture. Why does Jesus say you will be persecuted, then go to the next place, to the next place, but you won't finish going to all the towns of Israel before I come back? Now, remember this as a point of history. We've already preached the towns of Israel, and even currently, the towns of Israel have been preached. But has Jesus come back? Yes and no. Can I tell you how there's a yes to that? When you read the Old Testament prophets, oftentimes the day of the Lord, God coming is in judgment. When did God come in judgment to Israel while the church was preaching before they could reach all the towns? 70 AD, when Rome sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. You see, Judaism can never be Judaism since that day. There's about 613 commands in the Old Testament that the Jews must follow. How many of those you think have to do with a temple? Hundreds of them, at least a quarter of them. That means from the time of the destruction of Israel, there has never been biblical Judaism. Are there still Jews today? Absolutely. They come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're trying to keep all that they can. But the writer of Hebrews said before the destruction of Jerusalem, the old covenant is soon to pass away and disappear. What do you think he was referring to? The destruction of the temple. What did Jesus say? Not one stone will be left upon another here. And when you see it, flee to the mountains. That's Matthew chapter 24. Now some of you might say, well that passage also talks about his second coming and the false Christ and all those things. Yes, there's a dual fulfillment. The first coming is his destruction of judgment upon Israel first as a nation. The second coming is his judgment upon the Gentiles and the saving of Israel. Now, you might think, Pastor, I don't know if I believe you. Trust me, there's no other way to reconcile that passage. Because if he didn't come in judgment in 70 AD, then something's wrong about them saying they wouldn't finish the towns of Israel. Because we have finished the towns of Israel now. And so what it's teaching us is just like King Cyrus was used by God, actually called as king, but he was a pagan king. And God called in Joel, the Babylonian army, his army. God identifies with judgment in the Bible. And get this, everybody. When the Jewish people said, we want, G- uh, we want a Barabbas to be released, uh, Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? And they shouted out, crucify him. And then Pilate said, he's innocent. What did the Jewish people say back, let his blood be upon us and our children. That was the reaping of judgment in 70 AD. Now, are there still Jewish people? Yes, we preach to them. But if you ever want to use the real apologetic or the way to preach to Jewish people, do it the way Jesus did and the way Jews for Jesus do today is you show them you can't follow the law anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't have a temple. You need Christ. Now, what's unique about the end times is that the Antichrist comes to a Jewish temple and does a bunch of crazy things and sets off the last three and a half years of tribulation. So what's going to happen at some point? The Jews now got their land. They haven't had it for over 1,900 years, and they're also going to try to rebuild the second temple. 
But what do we need to tell them to do? Don't do that. Come to Christ. Because you building the second temple and all of this is in rebellion to God. God destroyed that temple on purpose to show you that there was no salvation outside of his son. So that's how you can fit that into your theology. Everybody go, hmm, I learned something. I hope you did. <laughs> Look to verse 24. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. In other words, if they block me, why aren't they blocking you? If you're getting shunned on Facebook, why, if I'm getting shunned on Facebook, why aren't you getting shunned? They must not think you're like the teacher. But the Bible says if they love my post, they should love your post, right? Does everybody get that? And who's everybody's teacher here? His name is what? Jesus. So if you love Jesus and they crucified Jesus, what do you think they're going to want to do to you? So if you find yourself in a group of friends that's blocked everybody but you, they're not thinking of you as great. They're thinking of you as an oompa loompa, somebody they can influence. Because the heavy hitters like us, they block because they know what we're teaching and preaching. Amen? Sometimes you're like, well, I just say it nicer, and that's why they like me. No, 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 no. They like you because they can manipulate you. If they block me, they're going to block you if you say what I say. Put it in your nice words, right? You're still going to get blocked because they don't like the worldview of a Christian, and they don't like the standards of God. And so the Bible says if the household has been called Beelzebul, which is another word for the devil, how much more the members of his household. So that's the same why we name all these people in the world and say they're still going to hell because they're following the teachings of the devil. The teachings of the devil are anti-God, rebellion, doing your own thing. Now look at verse 26 and onward. This is where we have to take it serious as Christians. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can kill the body and destroy the soul. Uh, destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet? Not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very numbers of your head are all numbered. Excuse me, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. How many know I would do a disservice to verses 29 and 31 to 31 if I didn't talk to you about preaching first? Because most of us have heard, he's got his eye on the sparrow. I know he watches me. See, we've heard like these kind of songs, right? Or that, you know, God knows every hair on your head. And what are we applying that to? Like the problems we're going through and nobody liking us because, you know, we're, we're not getting a promotion on the job. What is this talking about? Everybody get this. Look up at me, please. This is literally talking about you preaching the gospel. Somebody punches you in the face. You fall to the ground. Your hair comes out. God is saying, I've watched you fall. I've watched the hairs come out of your head. I've watched you. I have cared for you. He is preparing his disciples for death. How many of those disciples died martyrs' death? Minus Judas the, out of the 12, you have 11. 10 out of the 11 died. Will you scroll up to the top, please, so they can see the link to check later? Right where I talk about, where it talks about the disciples, a little bit up, up please. There you go. Click on that when you have time. To see how the disciples died. Matthew was speared to death in Ethiopia, I believe. Thomas was also killed very similar in India. Peter was crucified. And he said, I'm not even worthy to die like my Savior. Flip up the cross upside down. Uh, John was boiled alive. And they tried to kill him, but they had to exile him to another island. That's why he's the only disciple that didn't die a uh, martyr's death. 
Some of them were beheaded. And what is that scripture saying to us? That scripture is saying, keep shouting it. Whatever I tell you in the dark, shout it out. What are they, what are they doing? They're literally doing what we're doing right now. And we're doing what they did. Do you get it? He doesn't say we're so controversial, keep it in. He tells us the opposite. Will you go to the passage, please? He says, I want you to go to the rooftop and tell the whole world. Now do you understand the situation we're in? It's like they're all mad at us when we go witnessing, when we're knocking on their door. And they wish we were just Mormons, but we got to tell them back. Hey, we're actually commanded to do this. We're commanded to proclaim this for everybody to hear. What's the place in the dark? That's your prayer closet where God gives you words and speaks to you. You go out and do those things. And now look at this. Is Jesus threatening us? Like, because I know some people don't like this, but he literally says, hey, don't you be afraid of those Muslim terrorists. Don't you be afraid of North Korean dictators. Don't be afraid of the police in China. Be afraid of me because I'll burn your whole body and soul in hell. Is he saying that because he doesn't love us? No, he's telling us that to warn us. He's literally saying to the church, as you get persecuted, you're going to think you saving yourself for that moment of death, from that moment of death, is going to be better for you. But he's telling them, it would be better for you to die in a torturous death now and receive the kingdom of God forever than to burn in hell forever without me. God, help us to face this. Because it's real easy to say, I don't fear those who can kill my body until they do your family first. Because most of the time, what they do is start with the children. Let's start with joy. Let's start with Zoe and see how fast this pastor will keep his faith or renounce it. What are you going to do when you watch your children getting burned alive in Sri Lanka? They went right to the church in Easter. Blew them up, right? The Bible is saying to to us, you will feel afraid at those moments. You will feel deathly afraid. But fear God more. Your life is worth more than that. I watch you. If I can watch a sparrow, I can watch you. If I know how many hairs are on your head, when they knock the teeth out of you and you fall down, I will pick you back up and I will count and get the number right now how many you have left. Can I hear an amen to that? Boldness in the name of Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 32. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. DC Talk put out a book a while back about the martyrs. Look it up. It's also called the Fox's Book of Martyrs. You will be amazed at the courage these people had. They could all they all they had to do was just say, I don't believe in Jesus, and they would have been spared. Their children would have been spared. But yet, you can read these accounts on how they'll sing hymns. They were glorifying God. They were preaching the gospel, even to the point where there's different stories where people who were executioners joined them in the death march because they saw so much courage and love in their hearts. Literally, there's a story even during the time of communism. They took these Christians, and uh, you can get, um, uh, what was his name, Richard Warmbrandt's book? What's his book's name? Tortured for Christ. He lived in Romania, and they tortured him and and tried to brainwash him, just psychological. I mean, it was crazy what he went through. But during that time, these, uh, I I don't know if it was um, in in one of those nations there, but I know it was during this time. I wish I could remember. But they put him into the river. I think it was Siberia. It was the Russians. They put him into this river to die, to freeze to death. And these Christians started singing hymns. And one of the guards, true story, one of the guards took off his uniform and went into the river to die with them. 
You see, we die with dignity and grace when we die for Christ. We will not denounce our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit. The Roman world had no problem with us believing in, in a God named Jesus. Their problem was that our God named Jesus was above their Caesar God. That's where they hated us. And the Jews had no problem with us starting our own religion. The Jews had a problem when we said it was the Messiah from their religion that we worshipped. The Jews hated us because we were too inclusive, bringing in all the Gentiles and all the nations to follow Christ. They hated us because of that inclusiveness. And the Romans hated us because we were exclusive, saying Jesus was the only way. Do you see the difference there? Persecution happened in many different ways, but we stayed strong. And I I call it a we because these are our ancestors here. Amen? Now look at what Jesus says here. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against a father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's Micah 7, 6. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now you know why I wanted to take a vacation for a little while before I read chapter 10? How many know that's some real stuff right there? Can I invite my family to come up here, please? My children, come on up. Let's give a hand clap as my children come up, please. It's an honor to have a family. Hannah is nine years old. Bethany is 10 years old. Lucas just had his birthday. He's now six years old. Seven, sorry. I lose count. And I forget names. So if I ever forget your name, please don't get mad at me. I forget their names almost daily, okay? Look at this. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you know how much I love them? Do you know how much I love each and every one of them? And there's somebody asking me to love them more. Who has the right to do that? How dare they tell me to love them more. There's only one person that has the right to do that. The one who came from heaven to earth to bear my sins upon a cross who said it was finished for my salvation and in the grave defeated the devil and three days later raised from heaven. You see, my friends, either Jesus was a lunatic, madman, selfish and deceitful to tell us to love him above our own children. Come on up here, my wife and other children. Now we have Zoe. (laughs) Joy's wondering that Zoe. Joy. Joy. Come this way, please. Zoe is now five years old. Her birthday was just, what, two days ago? This is Joy. She's two years old. This is Titus. He's eight months old. This is my wife. She's, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to say her age. I don't even know if I know your age. I'm going to tell myself, 36? Anniversary is June 19th, 2005. It's coming up. 14 years, 15 years, 14 years. Amen. Oh, help us, Jesus. If I love them more than I love Jesus, he says, I'm not worthy of him. 
Do you know how hard that is if you don't understand how good God is? If you perceive what Jesus just said there is, you have to love your religion more than you love your family. You'll never have it. You'll never have that kind of love. If you heard that as you have to love a building you call church in a place called Metro Praise more than you love your family, you'll never get it. But if you see Jesus as the one asking this of you, you will see that there is no comparison. Because let me use them as a living example. No matter how much this child loves me, and no matter how much his little cute smile encourages me, he can't bear the darkness of my soul. The darkness of my soul is too much for him to bear. That's why there are parents who are still going to hell even though they love their children because children don't take darkness from the soul. And no matter how much my wife loves me and gets me and trusts me, she understands me. There are a few people who do, right? I am hard to understand. I am a complex man. But she does not know the depths of my hurt. She doesn't know where I ache and how I ache. She doesn't know the thoughts I have in the night that torment me with my past, no matter how much love she has to give me, she cannot reach the bottom of my soul and clean me out. But Jesus can. And so when he uses the word worthy there three times, look at it. You don't love me more than your parents. You're not worthy of me. You don't love me more than your son or daughter. You're not worthy of me. You don't take up your cross and follow me. You're not worthy of me. Why does he mention the word worthy three times? Because that's everything he is. He is worth it. Worthy means worth it. And he's saying, you're not worth what you think you're worth unless you let me save you. And saving you is what I do one-on-one. I don't save you and your wife and your kids. And you don't make that a package deal, Joe. I'm worth your undivided loyalty. And then he says to me, Am I worth it? And that's the choice all of us got to answer back to Jesus. Is he worth it? Is he worthy of your undivided loyalty? Because if he is, there's good news in the rest of Matthew. Those who have left these things for the sake of Christ or have put God first get all of these things back. Some of them lost their wives. They weren't Christians. They didn't want to follow them. They were pagan. And he gave them new wives and new families, just like he did for Job. But I thank God that my wife, this one, is following me as I follow Jesus and all of us going to heaven together. Amen? Amen. Let's give it up for him. God bless you, crew. How many are going to heaven with or without your family? Amen, because Jesus is worth it. I want to take him with me. Obviously, that's the best way, but I'm going with or without him. The last portion here, please. The last portion says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is truly my disciple, I tell you that they will not certainly lose their reward. It is amazing when I go out preaching, and I'm sure you guys have been there, whether it's knocking on doors or you're going out in front of the community here or you're going to join us for a Boricua Fest, and somebody stops and it's like, dude, that's awesome. I'm a Christian too. Thanks for being out here. Isn't that a great feeling? What they're saying is, God bless you, and you're blessing them back. There is a blessing for that. Whenever I see people on the streets, even if I can't meet with them for a long time, I'll just be like, man, I'm grateful you're out here. 
Now, sometimes they'll be a little sassy with me and be like, you're not a Christian, you're this, this, and that, because they can be mean. And I'm like, okay, whatever, dude, I am a Christian. I do just have to do this next thing. But I always want to tell them that I love them and I love what they're doing. Why? Because I see people walk by me all the time. They're like, I'm a Christian. I don't need it. I'm like, you're not acting like it. Because if you see me out here, you're supposed to bless me. And if you want a blessing, give me a cold water. Even though I'm not as young as I used to be, I'm still kind of young. Right? A little one. My, my daughter, she does the camera when we go out on Mondays. Wouldn't that just be awesome if someone came from the store and just said, hey, I want to get your daughter some water, get you guys something to eat. I'm a Christian. I just love seeing you guys out here. That's what they were experiencing as they went out. Before the churches looked like this in buildings, they would be in villages, and people would say, come on in. And that's what missionaries, missionaries go through right now. And there's nothing like it. You know, you're in an all-Hindu village. I've been to India three times. It's all Hindus there. And then one family will invite you in with the pastor. They'll start putting out a meal before you. You know, and you're taught as a missionary, you eat whatever's put before you, and you're grateful because they're receiving a blessing for blessing you. And so here's our goal this spring and summer. Every life group, Set a goal. We have 11 life groups. Let's set a goal this spring and summer to win 10 people for Jesus. If we win 10 people for Jesus, that's 110 new people for Christ. Rachel, would you come, please? Because here's the deal. We aren't supposed to do this if we don't mean it. Don't do it if you don't mean it. But if you mean it, get out there and change the world because there are people who are waiting to bless you and to receive what you have. You might be thinking to yourself, you know, tomorrow, pastor, I'm going to a corporate job. We're all going to be dressed nice. We're going to be making moves. How in the world does all this apocalyptic persecution, radical stuff apply to me? Can I tell you how it applies to you? Is you ask your coworker to go out to lunch tomorrow so you can talk about Jesus. Don't even be like bait and switch. Let's go out, and then while you're out, you pull out your plexus board, and now they can become a plexus rep. You know, it's like, oh, man, I get a free lunch to hear that. No, no offense to people who do that marketing thing, but no, no, no underground stuff here. Just come right up to them and be like, Mike, I've been praying for you. Man, I just want to know, can I take you out to lunch and tell you about Jesus? And you'll see how real this becomes because maybe Mike doesn't want it. And you're going to have to remember what we were taught here. So then what do you do? You kind of shake off the dust, get your chunkless clean, and then you go to the next one. And you go, okay, Bob, do you want to go out for lunch? How about you young people going to your high school this Monday, tomorrow, and instead of say, sitting at the same table you always sit at, you go look at another table and say, hey, man, can I sit here, girls? My name is so-and-so. I go to this youth group. I want to tell you about a Christian club. And if they're like, get that blank out of here, shake off the dust, just go right to the next table. I'm like, hey, man, I want to sit at this table with you. You mind? Because there's somebody that's going to slide over a little, little water and be like, come on, let's go. I'm telling you, man. Uh, somebody's eventually going to say, this one's on me. I got you. Here's some water. Yeah, I'll let you sit here. Here's a place to stay. Come to the crib. Many of you have people around you right now ready to bless you as you go. But you can't be a secret prophet. You can't be a secret righteous person. You got to stand on a rooftop. You've got to shout it out for the world to hear loud and clear that there is a gospel of the kingdom that is for them. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, it's all about him. Band and altar workers, would you come please? As the band and altar workers are coming, I'm going to start praying. Before you go, I want to pray for two kinds of people. Those would be 
here today, maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, even as I'm talking before we start singing, you can come up and someone will pray with you to accept Christ because we're giving you that good news today. And also, if you're here today and you would say, maybe I'm a Christian, Pastor. I, I, I feel like I believe in God. I've been doing these things, but I haven't been doing it all and I haven't been all in. If that's you, I also want you to come forward because I want us today to make a decision that we're all in. We're not holding anything back. So if you're here today and you have never accepted Christ or you're a Christian that needs to go all in, come on up. Now the rest of you, I want to pray for you if you're in the 101 here today and you want this year to be the year you graduate into the 201 because there are there, there is a time for you now to start being a leader. You want to start preaching the gospel. All my 101ers, would you raise your hands right now? Come on, Jesus, you see them, Lord. Bless them right now. Send them to be mighty warriors for you, Lord. Send them to be gospel preachers. And all that they do, whether it's on their job, at their life group, when they join us at outreaches, how could we read this and not apply it in the most practical way? Come on, 101ers, this is for you. Now, if you're here today and you're in the 201 and you say, Mount, this year I, I want to graduate. I want to become an elder or deacon. I want to open up my home for a Bible study. I want to help with the youth and the children. I want to do something great for God. Would you raise your hand, 201ers? Come on. Come on, 201ers. Guess what chapter 10 is about? Chapter 10 is not about you getting a new house, a new car, a new job. Chapter 10 is about you being a disciple that makes disciples. Let's apply it. Father, anoint them right now with the power of the Holy Spirit to go forth and preach and teach, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely they've received, freely give. All elders and deacons this year, if you are in agreement that your life groups, your ministries will increase by 10 people by the end of this year, come on, throw up those hands and say, Jesus, set me on fire so the world can watch me burn. I pray for the three elevate life groups to multiply. I pray for the Spanish life group to multiply, the three Friday adult life groups to multiply, the Tuesday Logan life group to multiply, the children's ministry on Wednesday to multiply. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom first. He said pray for the harvest. Pray for the harvest that God will send out laborers. Those 12 answered the call. One betrayed, the other 11 fought. And they bled for the gospel to reach us today. We're going to sing and then dismiss, so please stay and sing a song with us. But if you're any one of those people now, just come up for prayer. If you feel led to do so, let's close out singing, though. I'll, I'll sing with you, and then we'll pray at the end here. And if you need prayer for anything, come on up, because we still believe God heals, casts out demons. Thank you, Lord. Do it, God. We're here for you today, Jesus. We're here for you today, Jesus. It's all about you today, God. Take away our fear. Take away our, our doubts. Take away our excuses. Make us witnesses for you. Help us not to be afraid. But to serve Jesus you, is alive. Jesus is alive. Oh, oh yes, Lord, give us courage. Is right. 